Welcome to the We're Better Together podcast. I'm Ian Stevenson. And I'm Katen Garcia. On this show, we talk to real people, have honest conversations, and hear profound stories where unity is emerging. As you listen, our desire is to equip and encourage you to catalyze unity in your community, church, business, team, family, or marriage. We are so glad to be on this journey with you as we discover how we can work better together. Let's jump into our content. Okay. All right, we're excited today to have Mark Howerton with us. He is a marriage and family therapist and has a counseling practice right here in Costa Mesa. And he has worked with a lot of couples, a lot of families that have been fighting for unity, but have struggles, right? They come up against stuff. So we're excited to pick Mark's brain a little bit today on what he's learned about this battle for unity, this battle for being better together and sharing some of those principles with us. So it'll help you, our listener, be better in your context. So Mark, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's so good. Why don't you tell our audience just a little bit about yeah. yourself? Yeah, yeah. So I've been a therapist in, in Costa Mesa, gosh, 17 years now. You know, those years tick away pretty quick um, and, and absolutely love the work. Uh, I saw myself as, uh, as a therapist, even in high school. I knew that that was the path that I wanted to pursue. And so it's kind of fun to be here in this stage of my full adult professional life doing something that I was really excited about uh, uh, doing. The path to getting here was kind of a fun path. So um, uh, I worked at a church for a long time in Costa Mesa, a church called Rock Harbor. I'm really happy to be an associate pastor there for, gosh, eight or nine years um, before I spun off and started my counseling private practice here in Costa Mesa. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. One, one cool thing about about the, the world we live in, just as we're right now, engaging in this conversation and having listeners all over is even though my brick and mortar office is here in Costa Mesa, I've got clients all over the place. I've got clients in Canada, upstate New York, Florida, Texas, Las Vegas. So it's kind of fun to have a, a broad practice even beyond just the, the, the walls of the city. I'm curious, you know, as a therapist who's dealing with families and marriages and individuals and their stuff, how do you see this whole idea of unity and, and like wanting to work in relationship with other people? How does that factor in to yeah. some of your practice? Yeah, well, it, it, it's it, my, my thoughts go to high level. So high level theory and then and then, you know, you know nuts and bolts, hands on practice. So one of my my mentors, a huge influence on me as a therapist is a, a guy out of Boston named Terry Real and just phenomenal relationship therapist. And he uses the, the metaphor of of a mother nursing a child or having an infant in her arms as the metaphor for intimacy and connectedness. And he says, what you see when you observe a mother and child is, is this cycle of harmony, disharmony, and then recalibration to harmony. And so it's like, you know, give the illustration that the child's, you know, comfortable resting in the mother's arms, and then there'll be, you know, some, some hunger ping in the child or, you know, a loud noise outside. So then the child gets upset and, you know, kind of, you know, is, is un unsettled. And so then the mom will coo the child, pull the child in, and then re-engage in a sense of harmony. He uses that picture as, as a part of understanding who we are as, as humans and then realizing that's what we need as adults. That's what we need at all stages of our life. So is to say our, our intimate relationships, our close relationships, people that we find depth and, and deep togetherness with is this constant cycle of togetherness or harmony, 
and then some disruption. And then our goal is to quickly recalibrate back to that mm -hmm. sense of harmony and just kind of live in that cycle. And, and what's great about that is it, it helps mm -hmm. us move away from some expectation of perfection. Mm -hmm. So to think that it's got to always be, you know, this ideal relationship. No, there's going to be ups and downs. Yeah, that's awesome. One of the things I was thinking about as you were talking is the contemplative practice of Christianity, or some people call them the mystics, talk about the same thing. Reunion, union, or union, reunion, and then reunion with God. And how in the same way, people that get disunified from God tend to kind of go through this chaotic season and then kind of recalibrate into unity again with God. So that's really similar to what you were saying can you tell us a little bit more about some of the challenges that you've had as you've kind of gone along this journey of being a therapist yeah yeah well and this is where again from the high level theory to the nuts and bolts of it um i mean it's it is it is tough work when you see people come in individuals couples who are really in the throes of pain and you know and that same notion of of togetherness and, and I, I, I want to come back to this in a minute where there's there's maybe levels of closeness and so when we're talking about our most intimate relationship, it's the most vulnerable place for pain. Um, and, and so to see couples or individuals who are really struggling with that deep closeness being severed, um, that's, that's a deep wound. So to sit with folks who are in that painful place uh, really can be a tough, tough thing. It's, it's certainly inspiring work because I want to be an agent of change and help them restore that sense of, of harmony. But sometimes it's a triage. Sometimes I feel mm -hmm. like I'm in this emotional emergency room, mm -hmm. just literally trying to sop up some you know, major injuries so that uh, people will stop hurting themselves and hurting one another, emotionally speaking and sometimes physically speaking as well. Mm. What are some of the key principles that you feel like you've been able to apply or help people with in every type of chaotic relationship, even with themselves or with others? Like what are some, yeah. some key foundational things that you kind of live by when you approach conversation with somebody? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I the first thing I, I do is I, I have this tool called, uh, the self care selfish paradox. And so it's this notion of where's the line between self care and selfish. And, and there are individuals who come in who are very much on the wrong end of that spectrum, who are you know, extremely selfish, narcissistic, maybe even you know, diagnosably sociopathic. And obviously that's the worst end of the spectrum. The other side of that spectrum is extreme codependent, you know, a doormat basically. No boundaries, no ability to kind of stand up for themselves in any way. And what we wanna help people do is find that appropriate balance on that spectrum. So, mm -hmm. so not too selfish, not too self-effacing, you know, self but, but a healthy expression of self-care. And that comes from a couple of models. First of all, is my understanding of Christianity and my practice in, in my faith to where I remember in the Gospels, Jesus says the greatest commandment is love God with all your heart, soul and mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And and the thing that gets lost in that or I didn't hear till later in life is this notion of love yourself. And so it's this idea. Sure. Love God. We got that. We're continuing to figure out what that means in personal faith. Love your neighbor, sure. Selfless giving, think of others, all these sort of you know basic Christian ethic. But I, I didn't grow up hearing a, a Christian teaching of love yourself. And, and the irony is if I am so self-sacrificing that I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm giving everything to my neighbor that I'm not giving to myself, I'm giving out of an empty tank. So somehow we have to learn to fill up our tank, you know, and I think about getting on an airplane and they always say in the announcements, if, if the oxygen pressure fails in the airplane, masks will fall from the ceiling. Put a mask on yourself first before helping someone else. Mm -hmm. And that just to me is a perfect picture of, of how do we fill ourselves up? How do we give that appropriate sense of self-love, self-care so that we can be present in a relationship? Yeah. 
That's such a great principle too, because I think when people think about collaboration and unity, they, they think about serving the other or maybe finding like the team's vision as a whole. But one thing that you just mentioned is you have to be healthy personally in order to be a valuable part of a team or of a community or a neighborhood or a marriage or a family, which is so, so yeah. helpful. So yeah. one of the things that then keeps people from experiencing unity is they're not taking care of themselves very well. So then they don't have a cup that's full to give out of to help create that connection. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm hearing you say. Is that, yeah. is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so like, the, you know, I, I, I had a big birthday the other day, guys. I'm a big 5.0 man. All right. And uh, so, so excited about this stage Congrats. of my life. <laughs> yeah. And, and with that, you know, just kind of the, the perspective and, and the, you know, self-awareness, I want to be a healthy guy. I want to be healthy and physically capable for the rest of my life. And, you know, with, with God's, help hopefully be as healthy as I can be and strong as I can be. So um, I have this regimen of, of some things that I do, personal exercises, both physically and spiritually and psychologically, meditation, uh, you know, eating healthy, exercising, these sort of things. And one of the things I say to my clients when I use this illustration is when I'm doing my morning routine, I'm doing that because I want to be the healthiest, best version of myself. You as my client are a secondary beneficiary of that effort. Because I'm a better human sitting here in this therapy office, having had my meditations, having done some reading, having had some quiet time, having done some physical exercise. That helps me be grounded, healthy, and whole so that I'm my best self giving to you in this hour of therapy. And I, and I think that can just you know, go into every area of our lives, our relationships, as, as, a, as a spouse, as a parent, whatever our community vocation is. We're going to be a better version of ourselves if we take the time to just say, okay, what do I need? How do I be the healthiest me? And then again, obviously having a paradigm, if I want to extend my life beyond my own, you know, selfishness, which again, that's that spectrum we spoke about earlier. And so I can't be so selfish that I just live in the gym 24 seven. No, mm -hmm. I want to live in the gym and live in meditation and live in, in deep health so that I can give and I can express mm -hmm. some selflessness to the people that I'm in life with. Yeah, that's awesome. I think one of the things that people struggle with the most obviously is those intimate relationships like marriage, um, deep relationships or kids and family, even parents. So what are some of the things that you've seen people come to you about, if you don't mind sharing just kind of briefly, and how have you helped people overcome those struggles in those deep relationships like family, parents, kids, or um, kind of significant others? Yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, guys, like again, just in, in earnest, let's acknowledge it's challenging. So, so I, I work a lot with, um, with couples with young kids. Um, I often speak at a group called MOPS, Moms of Preschoolers in, in, in local church and community groups. Great group. I love it. And the whole point of the group or, you know, primary point of the group is, is for moms to support other moms mm -hmm. while their children are young and, you know, toddlers and preschoolers and these sort of ages. And that's a tough, tough stage of parents. May not be sleeping, may not be eating well, concern for your child's health and safety. You know, there, there's some physical and existential stressors that really elevate tension for folks. And one of the things that really bums me out is I can see in those stages of life, relationships take a hit because things like, you know, physical intimacy between the husband and wife takes a backseat very often, not always, of course, but, but often. And, and what I realize is, is there's an element of taxation. So when we're deeply stressed or tax taxed, it's hard not to be defensive to other people's needs. And so if you can imagine the way our brain works, our back brain has this primal fight or flight response we see all the time when we hear about fight or flight. 
And that is a, a stress response to perceived threat. So in this very unfortunate way, a taxed mom, God bless her, who's, you know, juggling kids and the kid's not sleeping, the kid's spitting up and da, 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 in a traditional stay at home mom model. Husband goes away to work, you know, slays the dragons, does all the things, comes back in the house. We have two stressed people, two people that even though they think we got it together, we got this beautiful family, we have this beautiful house, they're operating in their back brain. And now all of a sudden, hey, I could use some fill in the blank, help with the kid, physical affection intimacy time, whatever it might be, that's perceived as one more stressor and actually perceived as a threat. And when we're in threat, what do we do? Fight or flight. Mm. And so I want to get away from you. I want to withdraw. And we do that unconsciously. We emotionally pull back or we consciously fight. And like, holy cow, why are we getting in this big fight at six o'clock at night when, you know, we both know we need to love on each other. Mm. So again, that's a stress reality, a stress reaction. If we have the wherewithal to say, that's a natural biological thing happening to me. Therefore, we are aware of it and then we compensate by taking a breath, saying a prayer together, taking a walk together, giving each other space with that cognitive awareness. We're a lot better off to not have the knee-jerk stress reaction of, of disconnect. Wow. The stress is that chaos that you were talking about with the mother and the and the child, right? It's that that moment where they're upset. Mm -hmm. That's, that's that stress that you're talking about, but then yeah. it has to be soothed. And what you're suggesting is you can soothe it. You can help build more unity again by taking the time to take that breath, to pray, to pause, to be aware of what's going on in the midst of the circumstance. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. so good. Yeah. So, you know, as a therapist, I'm sure you've seen multiple factors that, cause people to not be able to work together. So you mentioned the spectrum of not caring for yourself or being too selfish. Mm -hmm. That's probably one of the biggest ways to say it, right? Someone's too selfish or they're not taking care of themselves. So they have nothing to give. So that's one. Is there another thing like that that, yeah. that you would suggest is a key cause to there being a lack of unity in yeah 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 a couple of things uh, uh yeah i'm so glad that you have me here because i mean at the end of the day let's crack the code guys yeah let, let you know let's work together as yeah. therapists as churches as community leaders to say how do we help draw people together um so a couple of thoughts uh, one is i see it a lot what i call loaded expectations or unspoken values and and this is a this is a big piece i shot a, a gentleman in my office uh you know, working through some challenges in his, his marriage. And so one of the challenges is when I come home from work, um, I'll, I'll chat it up with my neighbors. My neighbors are out front and we, you know, chit chat for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes and have a nice little conversation. And, uh, and then I come in and my wife's upset and, and I, you know, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And she says, I'm upset because it feels like you're out there chit chatting. I'm in here alone and I'm deprioritized. And it was a great opportunity to, to, to identify some underlying either loaded expectations or unspoken values. And, and here was a perfect example, really quality guy who says, I have a value of being neighborly and being neighborly means having a sense of community with the people that I live with. And that's a, a deep, natural, intrinsic value that is a part of who I am. At the same time, I have a value of being a loving husband. And I, you know, of course you, honey, wife, you are more important to me than our neighbors. I care about our neighbors, but forget about it. I care about you. You're my wife. You're my queen. And so, so we had to have sort of this process of helping them work together to say, yes, I, I absolutely hold high value and priority value in our marriage. 
but I also have this value of being in, a, in the community with our neighbors. How can we work together? How can we clarify the expectations and the values underlying that feeling of upsetness so that it doesn't feel like a direct assault? And so, yeah, working through that. Anytime we have, you know, conflicts, I, I, I use the idea of, of watching a foreign film and watching a foreign film on Netflix, whatever, there's subtitles underneath. And so, so often when we have conflict, I ask, what's the subtitle? You know, over here, I'm mad. You didn't do this. You didn't pick up the laundry. You didn't do the thing. You didn't do the thing. You know, so there's conflict that, that we're grabbing a hold of something for. What's the subtitle or are there subtitles? Mm -hmm. And typically the subtitles are, I feel disregarded. I feel invalidated. I feel deprioritized. Man, I'm going to get a little puffed up and get a little loud if I'm feeling disregarded, devalued, deprioritized. Yeah. And I might grab a hold of something falsely, like the laundry or the house or the thing or the, whatever it might be. But, but I want to train myself and train my clients to say, what's the subtext? What's the emotional expectation or value that's elevating my emotion beyond just a, a, a cool-headed discussion? Yeah, you know, I've been married 37 years and I would say that unspoken expectations are one of the key things that, that causes issues, right? And, and thank God in 37 years, we've learned how to express our expectations and have those conversations ahead of time. But that, that's a great one. Like, yeah, I mean, how many times do people enter into any kind of a scenario, whether it's in their community or their workplace or their home, and they have unspoken expectations that lead to disappointment that lead to distancing rather than helping pull together. Mm -hmm. So give us the, when you recognize that there are unspoken expectations at play, what, what's the solution to that? Is it yeah. just sitting down having a conversation and making your commitments clear? Like what, what would advice would you give? Yeah. Yeah. So with this, this, this individual I was working with, I sent him home with a homework assignment called cl uh, values clarification. So take some time and sit down and say, uh, let's really you know, brainstorm to the best of our abilities what are our, our key values and how we're living our life and, and you know, what we want to instill in our kids, what we want to practice and what we want to you know, curate. Remembering that many of these blur between core beliefs and unconscious biases and, and then values that we learn or, or expectations that we clarify. So some of these things come from early, early in our formation very early in figuring out who we are, our psyche and our, our you know, a natural knee-jerk reaction. So if I grew up seeing that modeled before me, that's as, you know, crystal clear the norm as the sky is blue. Mm -hmm. And so if that wasn't your perspective, we never really had that clarification conversation. We might continue to butt heads. So we start with, with what do we know? Big picture values. We want to teach our children to be generous we want to have love. We want to have, you know, you know, you know, kindness in our, in our home, in our community, real kind of big, broad strokes. Maybe it's even the fruit of the spirit in, in the gospels. And then from there, are we beginning to notice some points of conflict that are pointing to a hidden or an unspoken value? Mm -hmm. And so again, yeah, a values clarification exercises. Let's literally grab a piece of paper and let's brainstorm as broadly as we can values that uh, we think guide our, our lives and our decisions. You mentioned a little bit earlier that you actually try to train your clients to identify these unspoken expectations. And I think that's kind of a reoccurring theme in our podcast that it actually takes a lot of time to learn to identify or speak the language of subtitles because that's not really something that's that we're used to. It's kind of foreign to us. 
Um, what are some of the things that you've kind of learned along the way as you're working with clients and trying to get them to learn the language? What are maybe some, some challenges or some things that you've seen people excel in and some things that maybe can be transferable to others who are listening to this podcast as they try to learn that language of unspoken expectations? Yeah, that's so great. Um, you know, I, I think the, the biggest place to start is, is realizing this is countercultural paradigm. Like this is really abnormal, you know, like, like I, I just saw a thing recently that the average American is, you know, 30 pounds overweight, $30,000 in debt, um, you know, living paycheck to paycheck has fewer than one or two close friends, you know, mm-hmm. is unsatisfied in their work, unsatisfied in their relationship. And I'm like, if that's the average, forget about it. Like we have to really be committed to saying, I want to live counterculturally. You know, the illustration I use is the idea of, 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 of sort of gravity or, or like, you know, you, know, uh, you know, apathy or entropy, where it's like unchecked, my default settings are, I sit on my couch, I eat potato chips, I eat ice cream, you know, I watch too much TV, you know, I don't read a book, I don't engage with my, the pe- most important people in my life, and, and, I, and I don't spend my money wisely, I waste money, whatever it might be. So my default settings all lead to uh, essentially destruction. Certainly my own, you know, you know, mm-hmm. negative reality. I love potato chips and ice cream. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. But if we live on potato chips and ice cream, then yeah. we're not going to be living too long. So oh, we got to yeah. find that balance. Yeah. You're right. Gravity pulls us there. So, yeah, it's a proactive mindset to say I have to do what I'm otherwise inclined to do. And yeah. so I'm inclined to, you know, retreat or, or, you know, not engage or not, you know, do some of the work. That's what we call it. Do the work. Yeah. And so a big part of the work that it, as a therapist is, is we call it psychoeducational, helping people understand that there, there are reasons why we do the things we do. Again, we haven't even talked about, you know, depths of inner child work and, and trauma and these sort of things that have uniquely shaped us, which I'd like to talk about because that's one of the ways that keep us from closeness mm-hmm. is because we have these trauma points. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about very pragmatic day to day. Yeah. We need to educate ourselves and, and fight for a worldview that says, I want to, you know, uh, you know, lean into good as opposed to lean into self-destructive behaviors. Yeah. I love that Mark, because you know what we realize in doing this work that we're doing, not only on this podcast, but the work that Kate and I actually do in our city is it is like fighting against gravity. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's trying to get people engaged in things that bring us together, but are a little bit out of the norm, right? They're not where gravity pulls you. It's what you have to choose to decide and step into. Mm So, man, that's if there's one factor we've seen is that if you're going to experience unity, whether it's your marriage, your family, whatever, you're going to have to do things and you're going to have to press in on things that are going to be a little bit against the norm, against the grain. They're going to you're going to be inviting people to have conversations they may not be used to having. You're going to be working through conflict and they might not like to work through conflict. You're going to be getting them together to have discussions and figure out how to work together when they're, they'd rather just do it themselves. So, you know, it is a fight against gravity to have unity. Mm-hmm. And that's what I just heard you say. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So the things we're talking about seem very um, big, like, like big boulders and cornerstones for psychoeducation and emotional health. What are some of the small 
things like we actually went to this global leadership summit just a few days ago and the author of atomic habits spoke about that one percent towards whatever goal that you have what would be that one percent every day that somebody can listen to and maybe improve just a little bit towards unity whether it be in whatever relationship they're in yeah 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 well uh to me the a magic word is the word empathy so if mm. we can elevate empathy one percent across the board <laughs> seriously like this would change the world. Like yeah. This would change the world. And 1%. I love that, that, that setup of a 1% change. Um, so if we could increase empathy 1%, that would be a radical, radical shift. Uh, one of the ways that I, I, I've learned about empathy training, and empathy training is a thing, and, and that's, you know, there's some personality types that are more naturally compassionate, mm -hmm. more naturally you know, extroverted or others-minded, and some personalities are more uh, you know, kind of homebodies and, and introverted or whatnot. So I don't want to pathologize personality type, nor do I want to celebrate or you know, somehow you know, you know, call out one personality type as better or healthy. People are people. We are who we are as far as our general templates of personality type but then we can build the skill and mm -hmm. empathy is a skill. So, mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I love the tool strength finders and it's a great, great resource out there to kind of under, understand some people might have a natural talent of, of, of empathy or compassion, but you can hone and develop the skill therein. And so uh, I've, I've heard about empathy training happening in, in, you know, juvenile, uh, you know, prison systems and juvenile hall and whatnot to help kind of move away from, the uh, uh, inability or unwillingness to see life from other people's perspective. So, so a thing that I recently heard is a, a meditation um, where you you uh, will have some some quiet reflection in meditation and you know, just whatever meditation looks like for you. I cast a wide net on meditation. Uh, there's some really wonderful research on meditation. Um, uh, a guy named Daniel Siegel out of UCLA does a extensive study on meditation and he studies. Uh, contemplative nuns, Buddhist monks, and then just kind of what we'd call like just you know, kind of a, a secular mindfulness practice and kind of charts the, uh, the, the, the brain waves and the neural pathways that happen when, when someone's practicing it. So it's wonderful that there's all this science behind, you know, prayer and meditation that, you know, is, is this ancient tradition, ancient practice. But it's this meditation that, that uh, I think it's called a meta meditation where you quiet yourself in sort of a reflective thought and, and think about somebody who you have a non-complicated relationship with. So, mm -hmm. you know what, my loving neighbor down the street, you know, you, know, you know, we call her Grandma Sally, she's a sweet lady, you know, whatever, I'm just kind of mm -hmm. making this up. And just, just a genuinely sweet, kind person, you know. And then you go through a series of wishing her well. You know, I, I wish her well, I, I hope she's healthy, I hope she is happy, you know, I bless her. I pray for her. I want these good things for her. And what we find is it, it creates in, in the neural pathways of our brain a broader scope of genuinely thinking about others and thinking well of others. Mm. This sort of thing can radically then transfer to people who we don't necessarily have a positive, uncomplicated wow. relationship cool. with. Whether that's a you know a social ill and a social you know uh, you know juxtaposition in people's worldviews, or just a cantankerous neighbor that is down the street that's not your favorite person, <laughs> for me to say okay how can I just broaden that sense of I wish them well I you know I bless them, and I just do it over there from afar. I don't need to go to their house and give them a big hug yet, but I can at least start <laughs> to curate in my own neuro pathways a sense of empathetic appreciation for others. Wow, that's so cool. That's very practical. Yeah. But there's probably other things you can do to strengthen that empathy muscle every day, mm -hmm. right? Like even just asking other people questions 
so you understand where they're coming from helps increase your empathy, right? So, yeah. so to answer Caton's question directly is like every day you could look for something, whether it's a meditation or asking someone questions to get to know them better so you understand how to walk in their shoes better. That's something that would help you be drawn more to unity and, and to connecting with others. Yeah, yeah. If I may yeah. give th this tool that, that's right in line with this, it's perfect, Ian. Um, I use this tool uh, called the Rings of Relationships. And if you can imagine a series of concentric circles, and so let's say there's 10 concentric circles, and the most inner circle is, is, is where you're at. You are in the center of, of your relationships. And in your most inner circle uh, you know, are your most intimate relationships. And the demarcation, if you can imagine this, this you know, basically chart, I'll draw it sometimes in the office of you know, 10 concentric circles, and then a two-sided arrow from the center out, and on that arrow, I'll write the word intimacy, and intimacy, we you know love the old phrase, into me you see. Mm -hmm. So how vulnerable am I? How transparent am I? How am I? How real or authentic am I? And then that's going to you know have a, a sort of a, a variance based on the the level or the ring of someone that I'm having relationship with. And then I go through and I write very specific people in different rings or tiers. So in my innermost circle and in my innermost tiers are my most intimate relationships, my spouse. My dearest friend, maybe a you know trusted confidant, and then even maybe maybe you know ring two or three is my therapist or a, a spiritual mentor, uh, you know, and then my sibling might be here. One parent might be in ring four, another parent might be in ring six, you know, depending on you know what of our our relationships are. But it literally becomes this full chart of all the people you can imagine in your life, even the barista at the Starbucks or whatever it is that I get my coffee on a regular basis. Sure, they're in my rings of relationship. But they're not ring one or two, mm -hmm. but they're ring seven or you know five or six, whatever. And then the notion is these are all people I have relationship with. So then how can I have an empathetic awareness of people I'm in relationship with and not insist on pulling everyone into my inner circles, which, yeah. is, which is impossible, and then that becomes overwhelming and overbearing. Mm -hmm. And when we feel overwhelmed, overbearing, what do we do? Stress, fight or flight, and move away from togetherness. So it's with a, again, just sober, broad mind, I'm aware I can you know, check in with my neighbor three doors down and see how they're doing and have an intimate interaction. I'm sorry, an empathetic interaction because I'm not insisting that they're my intimate, uh, you know, you know, confidant. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I'd love to even, you know, maybe suggest like draw that, you know, for your listeners, draw, you know, eight or 10 different concentric circles, write yourself in the middle and, and who's in that. What's sad about this and very powerful therapeutically is, is I've had people do this and they'll, they might have their inner circle and say, well, God, and then I guess you're here, Mark, because I'm sharing this stuff with you. And then nobody for the first four or five rings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then maybe a coworker at five or, you know, somebody that I know or, you know, mm -hmm. and, and so, so it's a very humbling experience to walk through that with folks and realize there is a need for togetherness. Absolutely. We, at the Leadership Summit we were at just uh, last week, um, and I actually read a, a, a news posting from the Surgeon General that said that the epidemic in America today is loneliness. Mm -hmm. People are not together. They don't have others in their life, you know, just as you were describing the circles there and people who, who are feeling that way. So it's, it's a huge deal in our country that people learn how to break down these yeah. things that keep them from being more connected and united with others. 
So this has been super practical. Yeah, good. And super helpful. Did you have any other questions? Yeah, I was going to ask, based off of that, how can somebody who is experiencing loneliness and maybe have trouble connecting with others kind of break that barrier and move towards relationship? Yeah, yeah. And make no mistake, this is what I mentioned earlier, trauma, it's it's tough. It's really tough if we have a reason why we're not going there. And, and I want to be careful with trauma. Um, in therapy, we call it trauma. We call it big T and little T. And big T trauma are, are you know really horrific things that have happened to us. You know, abuse. You know, really horrible, horrible encounters, horrible tragedies. And little T becomes often uh, little disruptions, just things that that you know relationally feel you know disconnected. Wise uh, stress even can be a, a little T trauma. And, uh, and and one of the principles that I talk about with clients is what I call a sunburn trauma or sunburn principle. And it's the idea that, that uh, let's say, you know, when I saw you, when I came in the room and I you know, greeted you guys, I gave you a hug, patted you on the back, unknowingly that you had a sunburn on your back. And if I did that, you would have winced and pulled back and, you know, just kind of had this big reaction to move away from me, to move away from closeness. If I have a sunburn constantly, I'm going to continue to avoid closeness because closeness can equal pain. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want that. So I'm, I'm, I'm realizing that to move into closeness might be me directly addressing some traumatic realities in my life. And, mm-hmm. and again, that could be very horrible things that, that are they're what we call you know, big T trauma work. Or it could be, you know what, I had a really nasty breakup or somebody that I was pursuing ghosted me or, you know, my friends moved away, you know, or my parents got a divorce when I was a kid and just never really kind of felt, you know, like I was grounded after that. And, and so, again, it's the, the notion of our current default setting is not our healthiest. Mm-hmm. So that is an unchecked thing, no different than I'm going to start eating potato chips every day. I'm going to mm-hmm. sit in that. So we have to proactively fight it. And, and that would be, you know, first and foremost, give yourself compassion that this is happening for a reason. It's not a statement of who you are. It doesn't have any sort of value delineation that you're a, a bad person or something like this. So we want to eliminate any shame associated with it. It is, it is just the reality of where you're at right now. And we can all move closer to healthier togetherness. So uh, if, if we have the ability, uh, you know, seek out therapy. I love how accessible therapy is with the groups like BetterHelp and all these things. Like I can jump on my phone right now and, and get into therapy. Uh, certainly insurance pays for a lot of that. A lot of it's expensive and you can't do it. So then, you know, leaning into community groups, uh, you know, church groups, um, uh, you know, who are other people in your life, either at an organizational level, like a church group um, or a support group. We've got a lot of people who get tremendous support from 12-step recovery work, whether it, it's some specific uh, addiction or it's a group that I love called ACA, which is Adult Children of Alcoholics or Dysfunctional Families. So if my isolation is coming from some of the disconnect or dysfunction that my family had, there's a subjective definition to that. So I don't have to have some certain qualification of a big T in order to be in that group. I can go in that group and all of a sudden now I'm surrounded by a room full of other people who are saying, we're figuring out how we can be the healthiest versions of ourselves and do it in this community setting. So I love 12-step groups. Um, I love you know, church groups, community groups, therapy. Or it might just be taking a risk and you know, trying to chat with your coworker. Mm. Or a friend or reconnect with an old friend. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times just life and busyness, we, we subtly move away from previous relationships. And I would encourage you to, to reach out. I, you know, ironically, just having had a birthday, 
I had a unique, you know, touch point with a lot of folks I haven't talked to in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Not for any negative reason, not for any, you know, disconnect or schism in the relationship, just life. So it might take a kind of, again, working the work and an act of faith to reach out to some folks who uh, mm-hmm. were once in your life mm-hmm. and could be again. Yeah. I want to flip that question just a little bit. It's a great question about what someone who's maybe experiencing loneliness can do. You just outlined that. What if you're someone who's leading and you notice someone in your group that's maybe experiencing loneliness or has had some trauma in their life, things that are going on that keep them distant, keep them from engaging with the team or engaging with the family or like being apart? What would be your advice for that leader, that person or that teammate in how to draw that individual in? Do you have yeah. any thoughts on that? I do. And I, I've got to be square with you. Um, my first is caution. Mm. Um, uh, the task of leadership obviously is, is, is tiered with many levels. Um, and, and my concern is uh, a, a well-meaning, compassionate leader can lose their role in, in leading the organization uh, in, in pursuit of somebody who's not not ready to come into the fold, so to speak. Mm. What I'd want that leader, what I'd encourage that leader to do is say, how are we curating the culture of, of bringing in? And me as a leader, what I want to do is work with my other key leaders, my other people who are really embodying health and how they're being a part of the, the community, and saying, let's make sure that we're broadening this cultural norm of, of our group that is truly inclusive. And so collectively, I need to have it can't just be my eyes. I might uniquely have those eyes because I'm in the position of leadership, but I want to build up and curate the eyes of, of, of several other people on my team to say, if any of you are seeing somebody that kind of seems on the peripheral, we all have a job to do. Mm. We all have a job to do yeah. and, and, and say, how are we bringing in? And then specifically, I would might go to one of my key leaders and say, hey, I need you to you know, with me. Let's go and let's bring this individual in. Let's just you know make sure they're included. Let, let's, let's uh, you know shoot him a call or a text when we're doing an activity, go pick him up. But I, I need you as my co-leader here in this to, to tag team with me yeah. in that. It does twofold. It brings the individual in and it, it expands your role of leader uh, in the community, in the group. That's good. You know, it's because I, I loved your analogy of the sunburn, right? If, so if someone is staying away because they've been burned and you go up yeah. and your analogy, give them a hug, you can hurt them. Right. And, and that causes them to even want to stay away more. So it's that sensitivity to what's going on with the individual and the environment that might be needed to help them connect. Like you can't just assume one shoe fits all. Right. Because right. mm-hmm. that could be slapping their sunburn really hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I think I've done that a couple of times. So that's why I'm asking. Yeah. So it's good. This has been so awesome. Honestly, I feel like my brain is just excited about all the things that we're learning. So what would be like maybe the last thing that you would want to have our listeners hear from you? Maybe one key principle that they can take away. Yeah. Yeah. As I alluded to earlier, just this notion of, of uh, the perspective where, you know, Jesus says, you know, love God, love your neighbors, you love yourself. Like, you know, at the end of that passage, Jesus says all of the laws and the prophet can be summarized in these two things. And, and to me that that's just sort of a, a baseline for authentic health and spirituality that, that I exist. We exist. If we're, we're people of faith to say my goal, my life mission is to be in right relationship with God, self and others. 
and and you know I earnestly believe in a, a personal concept of God, which means as God's as personal as the individual person that's pursuing God, and I and I love that you know belief in a, in a in a uh, ever loving, all present God. So so I can uniquely find my path to that. I can uniquely say how do I get in right relationship with others, and what does that look like for me for who I am, my personality type, my role in life, where I am in in position. What does it look like to have right relationship with others? And what am I doing to make sure I have right relationship with myself, appropriately love myself, pursue healing, pursuing the things that I need to be the healthiest version of self. And then in so doing, I'll experience the most healthy, authentic expression of who I am and who I'm meant to be. So good, Mark. We're so grateful for you taking time to be on this podcast with us. We'd love to help our listeners know how they can get a hold of you, reach out to you if they want to get some counseling, if they want to ask questions or whatever, how can they find you? I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty easy. I'm Mark Howerton everywhere. So markhowerton.com um, is my website. Uh, I'm Mark Howerton on Instagram. My phone number is 949-933-MARK. So I'm a Mark all over the place. Marky Mark. Marky Mark. Marking your spot everywhere. That's right. Yeah, I marked my spot. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And I know that this has been helpful for our listeners and uh, maybe we'll have you on again sometime to give some more insights on this stuff. It's been fantastic. So thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners. Caton, you got anything you need to close us out with? Yeah. If you guys would like to give to our podcast, help this thing continue, we'd love to invite you into our Better Together family. You can join by going to wearetrellis.com and clicking donate on our podcast page. And make sure that you're tuning in every second Monday. We we drop our podcast at about 7 a.m. So you can reach uh, our podcast as early as you want. Um, and we'd just love to continue to have you guys listening. Thank you guys so much. Thank you.